Welcome to Soundscapes, the podcast for the Swedish Chamber Orchestra. My name is Gregor Zubicki and I have the great pleasure of being your host. And today we are going to meet the wonderful musician and violinist Antje Weithaas. And we'll be talking about, well, we'll see what we'll be talking about. That comes a little bit later. Welcome to Soundscapes. In a short while, I'll be talking to Anche Weitas, great violinist, wonderful musician, and a great friend of the Swedish Chamber Orchestra. But before we get there, because I want to talk to her, she does many different things, but she's a wonderful teacher. And I wanted to talk to her a little bit about that, and we'll see where we go from there. But this made me think about where it all comes from. And in fact, my own road to where I am today I thought it might be a good opportunity, in a sense, to introduce myself. And my background is I was born in Sweden, and then I grew up in many different countries. My parents were musicians, my mother was an opera singer, and as a child, we lived in Germany, and I spent a lot of my childhood in opera houses, sitting backstage, sitting, listening to the performances, and um, it was a very interesting life. Then when I was about eight, my life changed completely, my family moved to Australia. And there we had a sheep and cattle property, a farm. And from sitting in opera houses, instead I sat on horseback. A lot of the work, daily work was done from horse. And um, it was another kind of life altogether, uh, quite remote, removed from music. But at one point I went to see the film Sound of Music and it made an enormous impact on me. All these kids singing and they, and I sort of lived myself into this. I became in my own mind a member of the Trap family and I sang a lot better than those kids did in my own mind, so to speak. And then, as chance would have it, my family later moved to South Africa, hence my dialect. And in South Africa, through circumstances, I became a member of a newly founded choir school called the Drakensberg Boys Choir. And it turned out I had a really, really fine voice, a boy soprano treble voice. And this choir toured all over the country. We gave concerts in small towns and in big cities, and I, was the choir, so to speak, premier soloist. And I had the occasion to make some recordings, and I was sort of, in a very small way in this small world, I was a sort of a star. And, and I thought, that's what I am, you know, how one thinks. And um, my voice broke, and, and while I was waiting for this voice to come back, somebody suggested I play the oboe, and I was given an instrument. And this instrument made an enormous impact on me. I just thought it was so, so beautiful with all this mechanism and things. And not only that, but I found a very fine teacher, a man called Francois Conradi. And I think your teacher on an instrument is an enormously important person. This is a person in a way gives you, guides you in and inspires you. And thanks to him, I immediately was filled with this idea of wanting to be an oboist. Uh, which turned out to be a good thing because I never got a voice back that anybody wanted to listen to. And um, to this day, I, I don't do any more damage that way. I then moved home to Sweden. Now, I'm 19 years old and, and nobody in Sweden knows that I am a star. And they only hear me play the oboe in a moderately good way. So I had a long way to go. And my first teacher in Stockholm, in fact, said to me at one point, because he could see that my ambition and what I was actually doing were really far removed from each other. So he said to me, well, Gregor, you seem to be an intelligent young lad. I'm sure there's something else you can do that you can be good at. 
And that was a big shock because I sort of thought I was good. And there were a number of ways you can deal with that. Um, and I decided anyway that, okay, if that's the case, I have to approach the instrument and what I do completely differently because I did believe that I was good, you know. So I did, I changed my whole approach and then I was really fortunate in coming to a music academy where there was a Norwegian oboist called Erik Njord Larsen. And Erik was and is a great teacher and this school was a great place to work and it changed everything for me. And um, as it turned out, things went rather well. And I became an oboist. I, I got a job in the, in the Bergen Philharmonic, no, the Bergen Symphony or Philharmonic Orchestra. Uh, and um, and I was, had a successful life as a soloist. I made recordings, I did chamber music. I started the Chamber Music Festival. And everything was in a sort of way just going fantastic. When suddenly I got a problem with my hand, this hand, um, a focal dystonia. If you don't know what it is, it's not a problem, it's a neurological problem. And it simply meant I couldn't do certain things on the instrument. It wasn't like I couldn't do difficult things, I couldn't do certain basic things. So I went from whatever I was to suddenly not being able to play. And this was a, a really a big problem because um, what are you? If you're not a musician, if I'm not an oboist, what am I now? Very, very fortunately, I had started this chamber music festival in Stavanger. And thanks to this festival, I'd required a certain administrative skill. And I was one of those musicians who always knew better than the administration in the orchestra. I would always be up there telling them what to do and how things could be better. I was, in fact, quite um, an irritating person, I, I should imagine. So there was a certain justice to the fact that I was suddenly offered a position with this newly started Swedish chamber orchestra as their artistic manager. And they took a big chance on me, and, and to a certain extent I took a chance on them, and here we are doing this program. One of the really formative things for me, uh, looking back, was when I was a student at this first Academy of Music, because I just learned this quartet by Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, Quartet for Oboe and String Trio. And I wanted to play it. I wanted people to hear me play it. I thought I played it pretty well. But I wasn't, you know, any outstanding student at the school. There were so many other people there. And I thought if I just try and play this somewhere, nobody will come. So I, I decided to arrange a concert, a whole concert of, with the best students at the school. And they would also all play Mozart. And then I would sort of slide my little quartet in there. And the, and the audience would come because of the other students. And then they would also hear me. And then I realized, well, one concert is, doesn't really do it. Um, let's make a whole series. So I set up a whole series of six concerts, which became a success. Uh, and I repeated that the next year. And in a sense, I only did that so that I could play a specific piece of music. And what I learned from it was um, that it's important to put yourself, what you're doing, in a context. This is what we did with the Swedish Chamber Orchestra. And this is what I recommend anybody who's wanting to make a career or, 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 or get forward in whatever you're doing. Just find a context in which you can put what you're doing that makes it interesting. And in a sense, that's been the story of my life. So that's the story of my road into music. And really the important thing, I think, in my story and in the story of any musician are the teachers you have. The role between a teacher and student in music is, is very intensive, it's very individual. It's one-on-one -on -one to start off with. It's not you sit in a class and there are lots of you and a professor tells you what to think and what to do or what not to think. This is a, 
situation where you practice a whole week, you prepare something, you go and play it for somebody who then deconstructs everything you're doing, or maybe says, this is marvelous. I was once at the Academy of Music in Berlin. I was at this stage already a very successful student uh, or player. And I studied for this very famous oboist in Berlin. And, uh, and one lesson I was playing, and it wasn't going that marvelously, let's be honest. And he looks out of the window and he says, you know, Herzogiki, gardening is also a profession. Now that's pretty tough. Uh, and a number of ways you can take that. I decided to come a little bit better prepared for the next lesson. And so things went well from there on. And so the teacher is somebody who on this one-on-one -on -one situation develops you and, and criticizes you and tries to bring out the best in you. And this is, of course, what a conductor also does with an orchestra, works with a whole ensemble, deconstructing, reconstructing, trying to find the whole way forward for the group. And this week, we have Anche Vaitas with us, and these are some of the things I wanted to talk to her about. Hello, Anche. Hello, Gregor. Welcome to Soundscapes. <laughs> After all these years that you've come here, now finally you're on video. Tja. How does it feel? I love these things. <laughs> of course you do. Of course you do. Listen, I've been talking um, in this program and, and even in other programs a little bit about um, what it is to be a musician um, and, 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 and the road to becoming a musician and then, of course, life in an orchestra, which is also, I think, quite interesting. I can't tell you anything about that because no. I never spent any time in an orchestra. So, I mean, we can talk about that choice too. But you've done everything, you've done just about everything else. Because you, you've, you're a soloist, uh, chamber music, you had a, a own string quartet for a long time, and of course as a teacher. And I was just talking also about... And play conduct. And play conduct. Yeah. Which, uh, and maybe even possibly real conduct in the future, is that, is that well, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Every, everybody else is conducting. It's actually a very, very difficult question. Because in the last two years, I started thinking perhaps I could do it. But I think as long as I can hold my violin and as long as I can play and show everybody what I want, probably I don't start conducting. But <laughs> I have no idea. Um, I think I don't have the right personality for that. So if I do it, I only could do it with orchestras who really love me and give me give me all space I need. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I can't fight against musicians. Well, <laughs> I would hope that that, not, that isn't so often the case for a conductor. Uh, but, but you know, a conductor can be is. very lonely. Yes. And, and, and if, you, if you go somewhere and you see in the first 10 minutes, oh, that chemistry between the orchestra and me is not 100%. How can you survive a whole week then? It's a long week, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. But getting back to your... Because a big part of your life is teaching at the Hans Eisler Academy in, in Berlin. How many students do you have in a normal year? <laughs> I have now around 14. That's quite a big class. That's, that's a big class, yeah. And what do you look for when, when, you're, when you're taking in students? It's actually very, very easy. Yeah? If I listen to somebody, I need to be touched by his playing. Yeah. So he need to tell me something and I need to be really, yeah, touched is the right word. Yeah. Um, it's not only about violin playing, it's really something he, want, he needs to want to tell something. And he needs also to open his heart and his soul to the music and 
of course, if you do it to the music, you do it also to the audience and to other people. That's very important for me. So, so storytelling, in a way, telling a story. Just having having the uh, the, the the opportunities to give emotions mm -hmm. with the instrument to be a real musician, not only a violin player. <laughs> <laughs> and and then. And then, and, and how long, for how many years will a student normally be then at the academy? And that's different. Yeah. Um, we have this bachelor master system. It's of the course. same in Germany as in Sweden. Yeah, we have yes. this, yeah. yeah. And uh, bachelor is at the Hans Eisler four years, yeah. and master is two years. So it's and a then long... concert exam is the, well, yeah, but not so many have that. It's also two years. Then they go out into life. And I, I've just been attending a competition in, in, in uh, Denmark. Uh, in Denmark, and you were, okay. I've just been attending this competition. Yeah. And it's interesting because many of these uh, students at the end of their studies who are now looking for a platform to do other things. What is, what is your experience of, of competitions? Mm. Do we have so much time? Well, we can take a few um, minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it is actually ambivalent. Is that also an English yes, word? Absolutely. For me, of course, I... And, I had I was really lucky with competitions because it helped me to get to know from the music market. So I got invitations from orchestras and I got a lot of opportunities. And um, but in the last years, let's say in the last 20 years, it, sh it really changed. And I have the feeling it we have this competition market mm -hmm. there, and then we have the music market. And I call it very often this competition uh, hoppers. Mm -hmm. There are so many who are um, going from one competition to, and, uh, to, to another. And of course, they are fantastic players. And in a way, they mostly in the final, they win a prize. But what now? Exactly. And, uh, but you can live from the competitions quite well for a few years because the price money is going up and up and up. And we have now in China this crazy amount of $100,000 for, for the first prize. Uh, this is ridiculous, I find. Mm. So um, as you probably know, I took over also the responsibility for one competition in Hanover, actually a competition I, I'm really thankful to because I, I had... Um, I was lucky to win the competition when That's it was for the first time in '91, and uh, and it helped it helped really to open the doors and to to meet people, to meet other musicians, to meet conductors, and so on. And uh, now, after 21 years of Christoph Engen, who was responsible um, for for that competition, the foundation the foundation decided we have to change something. And they asked me, and I do it together with a very good friend and a fantastic musician and a violinist of the Kuss Quartet, Oliver Wille, the second violin of Kuss Quartet, and we do it together. And we were thinking in the beginning, competition. We really want to do that? Why? Another competition of hundreds, millions? And then we decided, okay, we try something completely different. We try to bring these two markets together. We reduce the prize money. <laughs> But we ask many promoters to be a real part of the competition. So they have the chance to come to Hanover from the semi-final and to listen to everybody and to choose their own prize winners.
And that worked actually quite quite well. You've done it already? Oh yeah, we've we done it um, in Corona times. Yes, okay. we managed to make it in last October, September, okay. October last year. All right. And uh, it was actually very interesting. And also the program we, we changed, it's really challenging for the, for the competitors. They have, uh, of course, there is Bach. That was also interesting. It's another subject, how competition players play Bach still okay. after 50, 60 years, since we know about the historical informed way of playing this kind of music. I have the feeling in, in the violin world, it is still not really uh, um, understood or I don't know, or not accepted. Or I, I, There are so many who have no idea about how to play that style. And uh, we asked also for the whole sonata, so they had to play, of course, the first movement of fugue. Uh, I don't tell you how, th the fugues are not fugues, the fugues are just violin pieces in tune and and with a good sound, but no phrasings, no, it's really no rhetoric, no life, and it's really amazing. I, I couldn't believe it. Not everybody, but the major, uh, majority played like that. And we asked also for the third and fourth movement, which is normally not asked in competition programs. And that was interesting because the level of these movements were definitely lower than the, also violinistically than the first and the second. But we had another interesting changes. For instance, uh, uh, in the semifinal, they had to play with, uh, with the Kamerade, with the chamber orchestra, Mozart concerto, and they had to lead the first movement by Bartok de Fertimento. Lead the orchestra themselves. Lead the orchestra themselves. Yeah. And it was very interesting. We, we were listening really eight different interpretations. It was very interesting. So the orchestra reacted fantastically. Yeah. And um, then the second part of the semi-final was uh, a, a recital, completely free. The only piece they had to do was uh, one movement of the Haydn string quartet with the other members of the Kuss quartet, of course not with Oliver, because it's, yeah. And they got the, 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 the parts 48 hours before they had to play it. And that was also interesting because we wanted to see how they work by themselves on the piece, not with a teacher at home. And, and Haydn quartets, you can't prepare all of them. There are so many, it's impossible. And we took, we choose also, we have chosen um, not the famous ones, of course. Yeah. And it was very interesting. And and then the, the, the other recital was completely free on a quotation by a, by a writer. So they had to create a program around Yes, that. and they had to write why. So in other words, in other words, you were you were you're trying to see the whole musician. I think in this music market today, you have to be very flexible. I think that times are over where you can decide at the age of fourteen, I want to be a big soloist. It doesn't work anymore. Uh, something I've been thinking a little bit about is also the, the what happens to you because one prize you can get in music of course is when you get a job in an orchestra yeah. it's an audition and it's behind a screen too and you've got to play this repertoire and 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 you've got to play all this orchestral stuff and then you get a job and up to that point everybody's really been interested in you how you play but once you come into an orchestra you become a member of an ensemble yeah and in a sense your identity is put into the orchestra what is i mean you haven't done it yourself but but what are your thoughts on that it's, it's tricky 
but it depends on the personality of the player. And this is probably also what in auditions will be felt about, about by the orchestra, yeah. And um, my, my, uh, I'm absolutely sure about that. My opinion is if somebody is a very good musician with ears, yeah. with the ability of, um, yeah, of, of, of communicate, then you can also play in a group, in an orchestra. Because you need to listen, you need to, to, to give your best for a bigger issue. That's actually what we do in, in music, or? Yes. So we interpret one piece and we give our personal approach, but always for the piece and not for us. And this is what happens in the orchestra. You have to, to adopt what you, can, what you can give. And I don't talk about people who are just going to the orchestra and are frustrated because they have to play now in a group. Yeah. That's, that's, that's tricky. To, to live your life like that, my God, that's not, that's not nice. No. I mean, and, and, and of course, a chamber orchestra is, is, is in a sense a compromise. Yeah, a chamber orchestra is a compromise, and you, of course, you have the feeling you can give more from yourself. Yes, because uh, that's why probably a lot of people don't do auditions for big orchestras anymore. Yeah. Is that a problem? Then do you think orchestras have in finding in finding players? No, they don't have problems to fi uh, in finding players. It is more which type what kind of, of what kind of uh, or which type of musician is applying for which orchestra that's very interesting yes also thinking about the style of orchestra you're approaching so that you actually think about them exactly um, a lot of the time we wonder when we, we hear people audition they play the concertos very well but when it comes to orchestral excerpts it's as though they haven't even thought about these pieces yeah, but this is also worth to discuss it. Is it really, does it make sense to listen to orchestra excerpts you never play in an orchestra as you played in an audition? It's different for wind players and for string players. Yes. For instance, this famous Don Juan plays, yeah? yeah? So everybody plays very carefully every note in an orchestra. It's and it has to, it has to be a color. If you played an audition like that, you don't get the job. Yeah, that's interesting. It's I, very interesting. I haven't thought about that. Yeah, or also, or also these excerpts like like Bruckner, Bruckner 9. Doesn't it make sense? What do you want to see? If somebody can play legato, if somebody can play in tune, you don't know if he's able to listen to the leading voice actually because no. it is not so so it, it, i'm a little bit um i'm not sure about that system mm. i think it would be much more interesting for an orchestra just put a string quartet there a fixed string quartet and put the 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 the, the, the applicant yeah. the, the auditioner into that string quartet and see what happens we do that yeah, we actually good. do that. Very good. We have a chamber music part of the audition. Um, but of course, we, we say beforehand what piece it will be, but, but that tells us a lot, actually. You're right. Yeah. 
Much more. Or even if you have, okay, the first and second round, final, sit in the orchestra and play with the group. Are you involved with teaching at all for, for younger children? I try to avoid that. I had a few 13, 14 years old, but you know, I'm so much away. Yeah. And actually, I can't take the responsibility for that age because they need definitely every week regularly their lessons. And this uh, I can't, no. I can't do. So I, I'm looking for students who are actually quite grown up and uh, uh, who are able to work by themselves. I'll tell you a funny story <laughs> that happened to me when I was a student because, uh, because my teacher hadn't been there for a few weeks. And so I was quite upset because I hadn't been getting my lessons. So I, I expressed this somehow and he said to me, well, um, but are you prepared? I, I, can you play the piece? I, I mean, are you ready? And he says, yes, yes, of course. Well, well, then you don't need a lesson. Oh, no, okay. <laughs> and, and, and then I said, yes, then I said, but what if I wasn't prepared? Well, then you shouldn't have a lesson. Oh, that's interesting. I never thought about these uh, excuses so for teachers. So this is an approach that you could take with you? No, <laughs> definitely not. So um, I'm never away for a few weeks. No, no. I try not, especially in the semester, two weeks should be the maximum that I'm away. But for you as a musician, teaching is something that then gives you a lot? I learn a lot yeah. from teaching. Yeah. Because if you teach, and I started when I was very young, actually I did my exam, and the next semester I started teaching. I, 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 I should give a big sorry to all my first students, uh, <laughs> but, 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 but um, you have to learn it, of course. Yeah. And uh, with every student, you learn something. And the good thing about it is that, yeah, it, of course, you have to tell about how to play. And for me, it's very important that it's with the natural approach of the body, that they are breathing all this, uh, the position of the instrument, that the, that the violin is something like our voice calls and not something we, yeah. And it really has to belong to, to the whole personality. And um, if you work musically, it is, uh, very important to have reasons for what you are asking. Yeah. That means I can't say, oh, I feel it like that, just do it. Oh, I play it for you. I never play, almost never play in lessons because they immediately Copy. start copying. And I, I, I want to, to bring out the own voice of every player. So who was important to you when you were in that role? When you were a student, what, what, what was it made the difference for you? I, I was actually very lucky with, 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 with my teachers. When I went to the Special School of Music in Dresden, when I was 12, I had a very calm teacher, but he knew everything about playing naturally. That mm. was actually... And I started the first months just open strings. Can you imagine me yeah. playing open string? But it was very, very necessary to get, and I, I, I'm really thankful to him um, after many years also of teaching and of growing up. He gave me the, the base, the, the basic to, to be able to play in a natural way. And he did it in a very calm way. Mm. And, and then I went to Berlin to, the, to, uh, to, to study. And this was, um, teacher, always optimistic, 
always, yes, you can do that. So he gave me such a, uh, in a way, confidence that I'm able to do it because I was always a doubter. Okay. I doubted all the time and he was very pragmatic in a way mm -hmm. and helped me a lot with that. So I was lucky with the type of teachers I had. Most you learn after that. Musically, you learn, you have to learn for all your life. Yeah. So that, 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 that means um, I'm very thankful to everything I got from them. Yeah. But it is after that, it's your responsibility to, yeah, to, to go on. To keep learning. To keep learning, exactly. Thank you. That's it. That's it. That's it. Well, thank you. That's it for today. Thank you for joining us here on Soundscapes. I hope you'll see you soon. Please visit us again and again and again.